Let's go back to uh, Galatians chapter 5, and as we start today, it's time with a big sigh of relief. We're not going into the graveyard. We're not going to look at tombstones. Uh, Well, not very closely. (laughs) But we are moving on to the next verse, and here is where it feels like spring after a very long winter. Chapter 5 of Galatians, verse 22 23. Matter of fact, you probably know the verse, these verses very well already. No doubt in vacation Bible school sometime you had to memorize them and make some cute little craft related to it. It says in chapter 5, verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, Self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Today we're going to look at, but the fruit of the Spirit is. That's our section. Now that sounds like it shouldn't take us very long at all, huh? The fruit of the Spirit is. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your word. But as we stop this morning, thank you for the cross. For what you have done to change our lives forever. You have made us new creatures in Christ. You have given to us hope, eternal life, peace with you, forgiveness of sins, mercy and grace. And the list goes on and on and on. You have indeed showered us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenlies in Christ Jesus. And we are your children. And what a joy it is and what a privilege it is to say that. We are your children. And here we gather in this room, and we open up your word, and we say, Lord, teach us. Teach us about this passage. Teach us what it means. Teach us so that we can uh, not only live in compliance to these words, but also live to the glory of our God who saved us. So help us this morning, Lord. We we come before you as needy, needy children. And we're dependent on you. Help us in our next uh, uh, moments to study this passage, to know it well, and to do what you call us to do. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. This is a great section. I I love this is what I've been aiming to get to the whole time. And you say, well, it took him uh, 17 weeks to do it. Uh, but we had an awful lot to go through, as you know. And for me to say, let's start with a quick review. It kind of sounds scary, doesn't it? But this is just the overview of where we've been. I think it's important that we just keep touch with that. I teach my students to stay in the context, and this is the context, and we have to set it down. Because we, though we're looking at some of the most beautiful verses that we'll find in Scripture, so beautiful we'll put them on plaques on our walls, Yet the context is a battlefield. That's where you find them. They're like little daisies popping up in the middle of a battlefield. But the battlefield motif is important for us because this battlefield, as Paul was writing to the Galatians, is in each of us. As believers, we'd really like to be free of all these kind of things. We'd like to say that, well, that was a former life, and now I I don't have any problems at all. Wouldn't you like to be able to declare such a thing? But in Scripture, we know the reality. We're in a battlefield. 
and it takes place within us. And that's what he's been dealing with here. Uh, the, the reason for this whole passage of Scripture is because the Galatians have shown this conflict. It's already revealed in them. Paul's saying, you know, what, what we've noticed here is something going on on the inside, and it's spilling out on the outside. And I've told you this quote before, but whatever you're filled with will spill out when you're bumped. And the Galatians here in chapter 5, verse 16, he said, or verse 15, rather, he, sorry, let's go with 13. We'll just start 13. Uh, You were called for freedom, brethren. Only do not turn your freedom into an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The whole law is fulfilled in one word, in the statement, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, take care that you are not consumed by one another. That was showing. Matter of fact, if we spent time, and we did this when we started this, but the Greek text just points it out very clearly. This was their problem. They were chewing each other up. Chewing each other up. So it was already manifest in them. And so Paul went very quick to the mandate in verse 16. Walk by the Spirit. We see that, don't we? Underscore that. Highlight it. Darken it. Put everything you can around those words because that is essential. It's the mandate for the Christian life. Not one of us is exempt from that phrase. Not one of us can look at it as an optional thing or just a good suggestion to add to the other things I need to be trying. This is a command. And a command is meant to be obeyed, right? And that's what it says. It's a present tense command, and I would stress it this way. It means right now I'll be doing it. Right now. Do not cease, but keep on walking. Maintain that life. Maintain that conduct. The the whole round of all your activities, whether you call it behavior or patterns or whatever you call your life to, to try to express this, you're to walk by the Spirit in every single realm. And walking implies progress too. Progress. So there alone we could stop and evaluate just for a minute, can't we? Uh, this last week, perhaps. Have you sensed any progress in your walk with the Spirit? Have you moved a little further down the road with Him? Uh, we start with guilty thoughts already. Conviction. Ah, there it is. But nevertheless, this is what the intention of the Word. Keep on walking by the Spirit. Keep on walking. That's the mandate. Um, if we do not see that as a command, folks, we will not take it seriously. That's just the reality that we see here. So often we get duped by this world. You know, it's the world, it, it, sometimes they'll use the shock method to throw something in our face. But more times than not, it's the drip, the drip, the drip that desensitizes us, that slowly poisons us, that, that dulls our minds, that, that easily draws us in to where we're, we're, we're part of the danger and we don't even know it. And Scripture so many times says, wake up, doesn't it? And this passage says, wake up. That's our mandate. Wake up. We've got to walk by the Spirit. To, it's not time to relax on a battlefield. Never is there a time for that. This, this spiritual conflict goes on all the time, and a good soldier will stay alert. I could take you to all kinds of verses to show you that. But understand this, too. 
And I'm keeping this thought going as I go through here. It says to walk by the Spirit. Not walk by your Spirit. Not walk by your strength. Not walk by your will. Not walk by your wisdom. Not walk by, you know, your plans. But walk by the Spirit. Understand? That's essential to this. This, folks, is a surrender. We're not surrendering to the enemy. We're surrendering to our commander, our chief. We're surrendering to the Holy Spirit to walk by His doing. To walk by His wisdom. We've got to surrender ours. We've got to take our strength and set it aside and say, I'll follow His strength. I'll go by His will. There's a big one, isn't it? To go by His will. There's no better wisdom than His wisdom. No matter how much we think of, of how great ours might be, His is perfect. There's no strength better than His strength. Yours will never come up to any level where it's got value like His, obviously. Here's, here's what I'm going to tell you too, and listen carefully. His will for you is better than yours. Okay? His will is better. That's a big struggle. I know this. I know it. But He is good, and His will is the best, and He will never lead you where it isn't right. Never anything less than the best. But we struggle with that. Because giving up our will is giving up a lot, isn't it? But he says, trust me. Let my will be yours. You know, when Spurgeon said this, I thought it takes a minute just to, to let it soak in. When your will is God's will, you will have your will. Think about that. Because in Philippians it says, God is at work both to work and to, in us, both to work and to will, or to will and to work for his good pleasure. He is at work on our will, to make our will His. And once we realize that, then we start to realize that's what we wanted all along. It's a fascinating thing, but you're not going to know it until you dive in. We have to surrender to the Spirit who's leading us. We have to walk by the Spirit. And when we follow that mandate, here's the good news. There is a guaranteed result. Verse 15 tells us, or 16 tells us so. There is a guaranteed result. What is it? You will not carry out the desire of the flesh. There's not a maybe in that phrase at all. You will not. You will not. I know that sounds simple. I know it does. I, I can tell you when you're in a counseling session and somebody continues to carry out the desires of the flesh. And there's a frustration in all that. And you say, how do you get beyond this? The only solution given in Scripture is to walk by the Spirit. That's what solves the desires of the flesh, is to walk by the Spirit. We are called to walk by the Spirit. See, spiritual conflict is not solved by worldly devices. You can't just throw anything at it and just say, well, that might cover it up, that might solve the problem. Only the Holy Spirit is a match for this. 
we're dealing with a spiritual conflict. And the spiritual conflict that we're studying here requires that we walk by the Spirit. That is the solution. That is the solution. So we've seen that. Verse 17 and 18 is the explanation of it. What is that conflict between the Spirit and the flesh? Real simple. They are enemies. They are enemies. They never cooperate. The Spirit never submits to the flesh. He cannot submit to the flesh. He will not submit to the flesh. He's in opposition to the flesh. Just like you know, the flesh is in opposition to the Spirit. They go in different directions. They have different evidences that they're at work. They're, they have different ends. They both lead someplace. The flesh leads to destruction. They cannot function on the same road. They don't even pass close by to one another because they never share the same path. I think it's kind of interesting. We don't have this so much up in Indiana, but we do have it quite a bit around these parts. You can be on Highway 81 going down there and see a sign that says you're on Highway 60. And you're also on Highway 64. You say, well, what is this? There's three different roads I'm on all at the same time. And you know how all that works around here. But we may have three roads we can follow at the same time. But you can never be on the path of the flesh and the path of the Spirit at the same time. Never. That's essential to our understanding because we do compromise so much and we don't even know it. We compromise because we think we're maintaining a healthy spiritual walk and all the while we're letting the flesh have its way a little bit too. There's no compromise in verse 16, 17, 18. There's no compromise in this when they're against each other. And we can go further with that whole statement in the fact that uh, we live in a country that is not doing us much good spiritually. You know, we've deceived ourselves to some degree. Uh, once we were labeled a Christian nation, and you can debate that all you want, but what do we now see? A nation that indulges the desires of the flesh and puts it right in our face constantly. Constantly. And I don't even have to give you illustrations of that, do I? But call it what it is. We live in a fleshly, sinful society. Don't look for it to help you. The evidence that we live in such a world is in verse 19, 20, and 21. Tell me which of these are not prevalent in our day. The deeds of the flesh are evident, which are immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, disputes, dissensions, factions, envying, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these. Are they not true? They permeate our society? We called them tombstones, I did. They usually have victims, casualties all over the battlefield, scars and wounds and horrors, whether it be dirty things or angry things or creepy things or even things of the appetite. We've seen fleshly driven behavior. It brings about destruction, and it always will. 
And these are the things that mark an unbeliever. But they're written to the believer to say, you do not belong there anymore. They should not be your characteristics. Because we know that sin has brought the wages that go along with it. The wages of sin is what? Death. That will never change. Here is a catalog of sin. But the value of this list, I believe, and I've told you this before, is to show the believer that these things are in conflict with the Spirit's work. They are in conflict with what He's desiring to do with you, and He will not compromise with them, and He never will. So why should we? Why should we? You know, if you ever want to get lost on a trip, try going to Hutchinson, Kansas. I could guarantee you, I've tried it three times, I've got lost three times. But one of the first times I was heading up there, it was Isaac Stanley's wedding several years ago. And uh, I was trying to look for, I think it was Route 17, I don't even know. They don't even know what the road is called. Because uh, GPS doesn't help you and MapQuest does not help you. They all give you certain names and numbers for that road. But not one of them seems to be accurate. And we're driving down the highway looking for this road. And I had a gut feeling it was this way. And I thought it was about right for it to come. But when we got there, the sign did not say the number I was looking for. And I said, well, then it must not be the road. It must be down the road. So I took off further down the road. And I don't know, 10, 15 miles down the road, I saw Jen and Royce in their car coming back the other way. I said, oops, they found that too. So we turned around and came back this way to go. And I, and I went on that road, that number that didn't match my... My direction is all, and I started driving up that way. It wasn't more than 10 miles, maybe 15. There was an old abandoned gas station on the left side of the road, and all the signs were faded, and the grass was tall around it and everything, and it had on it the highway number I was looking for. I said, well, that was the only marker that coincided with the directions I had, was that little sign on a faded gas station. You say, well, what's that got to do with anything? Here's a spiritual similarity. The world will deceive you in thinking that you're on the right road. You're on the approved road. They applaud, matter of fact, according to Romans chapter 1, because you're walking the way that they want you to walk, and it's okay to drive this way. And they encourage it. And the flesh is a great counterfeiter. Eventually, that road will be marked by what it really is. It may be an old faded sign, but it's still there. God's word is true and will always be true. You can candy coat sin all you want, but sin still has the price tag. The inside is still the same. The evidence will never change. And this is the evidence we see here in verse 19, 20, and 21. It's the evidence of the flesh. Now, as we walk through all that, we found that to be convicting, we found that to be difficult, we found that even to be a dark thing to go through because it reveals our heart. But that's why we need to come to verse 22. There's another list of evidence that we're going to start to study. I said it, we, we put them on plaques, we put them on pictures of our walls, we, we, we set them up because they're beautiful to behold, but folks, there's nothing more beautiful than when they are in the life of the person, when they are revealed as your character. 
That's the picture God is looking for. That's what he wants to see. And so we want to investigate them further. Very important points need to be made, though, this morning as we start into it. Yes, we're talking about love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness, faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. We're going to look at those. But there are certain things I want to start with in that phrase. But the fruit of the Spirit is. That's where I want to start. Sounds like a long introduction, huh? Let's start with the word but. Simple word, but not a small word. It's a contrast word. It's a contrast. It's contrasted with what we just saw. The deeds of the flesh. This is the contrast of it. But, he wants us to make a shift here. He wants us to turn our attention to the opposite of what we just dealt with. There's a a side we need to see. Now, we can start with a lot of contrast here, but let's start with probably the most obvious. The word fruit, contrasted with the word deeds, or works, you might have had, all the way back into verse number 19. The deeds of the flesh are evident. The fruit of the Spirit is. Is there a big difference between the two ideas? Well, think of deeds for a minute. The the deeds... Sometimes labeled works, it's the Greek word ergon. I love that. You've got to have er to do it. All right? It takes effort to do this. It takes energy to do this. You've got to invest into it. You've got you to insert something in to make it happen. It's kind of a good grunting sound goes with it, doesn't it? Makes it easier to remember the word ergon. That's the word. It implies something produced by effort or energy. It's generally intentional. Generally, it's intentional. It's instigated as a work. We, we start it somewhere, don't we? It's instigated, and it's invested in. For it to produce, you have to put work into it to get results. The flesh has that characteristic. We grunt our way into it, and we insert ourselves into it, and we get the results that come from it. Now, set that in contrast to the word fruit. Have you ever heard an apple tree out in the backyard going, and it popped, an apple popped out on it? Of course not. You don't see fruit trees out there struggling like that and making weird noises just to produce a bunch of fruit. You know what I like about fruit trees? They generally start with a flower. Isn't that a beautiful way to start? You see the blossom, and then you know how it works. You've taken botany, I think. At least you've worked in fields long enough. You understand the concept. Fruit is natural. Fruit is even expected. If your apple tree is not producing fruit, you say something's wrong with it. You see, fruit is natural because that implies the right relationship. That tree with its root, with its branch. And if you're thinking ahead, just a second ahead of me right now, you're probably saying, John 15. The vine and the branch. The whole chapter talks about the essential of the relationship because apart from him, we can do nothing. He is the vine and we are the branch. And a branch cannot produce fruit by itself. It has to remain attached to the vine. It has to. It requires that because it's lifeless without it. And it can do nothing on its own. 
The fruit that is produced by the branch is empowered by the vine. It's the vine's fruit. It can only be brought about by that relationship. The branch doesn't even have to struggle to produce. It just has to be attached. That's a big contrast, isn't it? Between deeds and fruit. That's why I think these words are essential. We also see uh, in the phrase, the deeds of the flesh, in verse 19 through 20, they're the complete opposite. The evidence is the complete opposite of this list here in verse 22 and 23. The deeds of the flesh, they, they promote immorality and impurity and sensuality. The fruit of the Spirit produces love and goodness and self-control. One promotes idolatry and sorcery. That's the flesh. The other produces faithfulness. One promotes enmity and strife and jealousy and outbursts of anger and disputes and dissension and faction and envying. The other produces peace. There's the contrast. Joy. Kindness. Gentleness. One promotes drunkenness and carousing. The other produces self-control. You see, you could set these two next to each other and see the contrast, can't you? We'd say the difference between night and day. If we even take a closer look at the fruit of the Spirit, we'll find that these are pure things spoken of. They're not hybrids. All right? There's no combination here in the fruit of the Spirit that is some sort of combination of spiritual with a dash of flesh. There's no mixture. The Spirit produces them because He is holy. These are righteous things. They are always in opposition to the flesh. You know, the Holy Spirit has a job. And it sounds pretty simplistic. But his job for you and for me is to conform us to the image of Christ. That's his job, and he's doing a good job, by the way. Because he will succeed. I love that about it. He will succeed. Yeah, we go kicking and screaming all the way down the road, don't we? But he will succeed. Because when we stand in glory, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Success. But that's what the Holy Spirit's doing in you right now. Doing it in me right now. He is, he is conforming us to the image of Christ. Now look at this list in verse 22 and 23 and tell me which of these is not a characteristic of Christ. Isn't this what he's making us to be? His fruit is even the characteristic of the one he's making us to be like. Christ. Well, we speak of love, and that certainly comes to the forefront, doesn't it? That's what the Spirit's producing. Joy, peace, patience, all the way through. We're looking at the characteristics of our Lord. That's what He's making us to be. And that's pure. Not with a, a mixture of the flesh at all. And I think it's important that we say that, because we will not see the Spirit produce anything less than whole pure fruit. 
That's his goal. That's what he does. And with that comes this idea. He doesn't start with whatever love we have. And slowly mixes in his love until it takes over its influence. He doesn't work with our fleshly love or our fleshly joy and revitalizes it or somehow reconstructs it or reconditions it. It's not his way to start with used material like that. You know, sometimes uh, we see his work as a progression of sorts and we feel it that way. As if we have a spiritual meter inside of us that, that somewhere maybe set at 62% right now, but it's still downloading, right? And it's slowly building and it's slowly going to grow into some larger percentage and things like this. But when I started with this statement, I'll bring it back to you now. The Spirit does not compromise with the flesh. He does not compromise with the flesh. Uh, he doesn't desire to use fleshly pieces to produce his pure fruit. Okay? This might be a little bit more than what we thought we could think through. But think of it this way. You don't mix garbage in with your cake mix. He works with spiritual material. He works with spiritual material. He doesn't work with the fleshly and recondition it. He wants you to understand the contrast here. When we talk about the fruit of the Spirit being love, we're not talking about the world's love. Or even an enhanced version of it. We're talking about God's love. When we talk about peace, we're not talking about what the world calls peace. We're talking about God's peace. That's going to be a change for us to think this through. Because what we generally do is we bring him our bucket of peace and say, Okay, here's what I've done. He says, I don't want what you've done. I want what I've done. And it takes us a bit by surprise, I think. Because here's the point. This is the fruit of the Spirit. Of the Spirit. These are possessed by Him, not by us. We call it the genitive here in the, in the Greek text because that identifies who possesses it. There are deeds of the flesh because they're possessed by the flesh. The fruit belongs to the Spirit. It is His fruit, not ours. Well, I've heard it said, and I've probably said it myself. I need to little work a little bit on my patience. <laughs> probably do. When it's my patience. That's not what he's working on. He's working on his patience in you. You see, this fruit is not your fruit. It's not manufactured by you. It doesn't have you for its owner. It does not have your name on its label. The only way to acquire this fruit is to go to the one who possesses it. This is the Spirit's fruit. The Spirit's fruit. We can easily perform the deeds of the flesh. We know that, right? We can easily do that. It's like our default system. We can just go right to it. You cannot, and you will not, do or produce the fruit of the Spirit without the owner of the fruit. It's impossible. Never will you produce one single bud, one single leaf of love or peace or joy without walking by the Spirit. You can't do it. 
It's not in you to bring this about. Fruit is a property of the Spirit. That's what the text says. I put a period at the end of that phrase. Fruit is the property of the Spirit. It's His fruit, not yours, not mine. So I, I'm not going to trade Him 10% of what I've got for whatever He's got to offer to fill up my bucket. Or dump mine. <laughs> Start with only His. There's contrast here. Let me go another step as I talk through a few thoughts with you here. When it says the fruit of the Spirit is, I stop with that little verb, is. And me is the Greek word here. It means to be, to be. Now we translate it is and are and all those to be verbs, you know, we use all the time. Uh, it's very essential in the sense that it speaks of existence. It speaks of existence. If I asked you today if you existed, (laughs) wouldn't that be a fun question to try to answer? How would you defend your existence? You'd say, well, of course I exist, right? Of course I exist. If I asked you to prove it, I don't know what you'd do. How would you do it? What would you go about to prove that you exist? Uh, Would it be an action? Something you do? Something you say? is it your reasoning skill that shows you exist? Is it your character that you would use as proof of your existence? We are, are people who require evidence for existence. We want evidence to know that it's truly real. It drives me crazy every time I have to call the telephone company to get something fixed. The first ten minutes is proving who I am. You know what that is? That's annoying, especially if it's a computer voice on the other side, and they say, I don't understand. You know, this drives me crazy. But we have to prove our existence all the time if we're dealing with things like that. Reality. We don't see the Holy Spirit, do we? It would be to the pastor's advantage if there was some sort of external sign on you to tell me where you were with Christ your relationship with him, that would be great. A big C on your forehead would be nice. We don't have those tools. I I haven't even seen any kind of uh, MRI or something that can help you with that. Because we don't have x-rays to tell you the Holy Spirit's in you. An MRI can't spot it if he's really in us. What is the evidence? Fruit. The fruit is the evidence that he is in you. The evidence is the marks of his character in you. His actions in you. You see, his fruit always matches him. His fruit matches its maker. It exists because of him. And we're starting to get the feel here. It's produced by him. It's owned by him. It operates by him. And when it is produced, there's evidence there that he is indeed in you. That's the evidence we have here. And so our common misunderstanding of a list like this, in verse 22 and 23, is sometimes we treat it like it's a shopping list. Or... or a list of our goals for the future. How, how we say that is something like this. We, we pick and choose what we prefer. Oh, I like love. I like joy. I like peace. Uh, 
know, patience. <laughs> let's put that down on the bottom side of the list for a while. Uh, let's talk about, well, kindness, yeah, sometimes that comes, you know, we, we go through picking and choosing uh, which we prefer. And then we've got another category of them of which needs the most work, right? We look at our list that way. Uh, sometimes if, if uh, we would be asked to make up a report card, and these were the classes we were taking, we'd put letter grades next to them, and maybe you'd have a B plus in one, and maybe you'd have uh, another grade you don't want to talk about in another. But we go through the list like this, and we say, you know, I'm good at kindness, but I need to work on faithfulness. Uh, you know why we do that? I, I think it's because when we look at the deeds of the flesh, we pick and choose through that list, and we say, well, that's a bad sin. I won't do that. But that one, uh, you know, that's tolerable in our society, so I do that. And we pick and choose in there, even though we, we, we don't uh, confess it as such. We, we do kind of stand up and pat ourselves on the back for not doing some of those, right? And then we apply it to this list, too. We say, well, I do some of these. Isn't that enough? Isn't that enough for our, our Lord that I do at least three out of nine? Maybe you'll be even better and do six out of nine. That sounds so much better. The fruit of the Spirit is that which he produces in us. Every single one of these items are his work in us. He does not emphasize one over the other. He never will. He's not limited to doing them in small increments or one category at a time. He's not limited in that. I believe this fruit is produced simultaneously. It's not dependent upon our preferences. It is His fruit. He will not leave us devoid of one of them or another one of them. There's a uniformity in the whole concept. If I work through the grammar, I could show that to you. There's a uniformity in what he is doing here. It's a single thing he is doing. That's why we have the word is in the passage. It speaks of a single unit. It's not a variety of things we're looking at here. It's a single thing. It's his fruit. And yes, it's manifested in pieces and parts, but it's his fruit. See, a righteous tree will bear righteous fruit. And the righteous fruit might have a lot of manifestations, but it is still righteous. And it's consistent. It has predictability because it's produced by the same Spirit. And this fruit has that characteristic and it will be produced in its entirety. Because he doesn't work with partials. He does the whole project. See, when love is produced in you by the Spirit, it's the same love he's producing in me. And I just throw out love because it's the first one on the list. But I don't have more of his love than you do. And I will not have more of his love produced in me than you will. Because it's the same spirit at work. And he always produces 100%. You see, I, I don't have only a portion of the spirit in me. And you don't have only a portion of the spirit in you. He is in you. And the fruit is a reality of that. The fruit of the Spirit is, it's evidence that He is in you. Evidence He is in you. Let me say this clearly. The mandate of this passage is not that you produce fruit. 
but that you walk by the Spirit, and He produced the fruit. See it? That's what it says. We have to walk by the Spirit. If you think that you don't measure up to this list, it's not for you to go out and find some more love to put into your account. (laughs) You are called to walk by the Spirit. That's all he said. Nothing less and nothing else will produce the fruit. Walk by the Spirit. Okay, so that might all be a surprise to you. Just a simple introduction to this passage. It might be a big shock to your whole idea because you thought, well, I've got to work on my love and patience and peace so the pastor knows that I'm listening. pastor says, walk by the Spirit. And the evidence of that will be natural, folks. You want a spiritual, natural thing. It will be natural that love is produced in us according to the Spirit's design. Don't worry about the fruit. Walk with the Spirit. I could show you some more contrast, perhaps, but I, I don't want to overload you yet. I've still got many weeks to go. I can give you more. But let me start with a simple wrapping up here. Listen and don't zip up your Bibles. All right? There's a contrast I've tried to show you here this morning. It's just simply by the evidence of the things produced. Maybe it serves as a mirror for you right now. You're looking right now at your own life and you're seeing list number 19 and 20 and 21 dominant. I hope little red lights and bells and all kinds of things are going off in your heart right now. Because it's meant to. If you're determined to walk by the Spirit, you're going to find these words to be refreshing. You're going to find there is your rest when you trust Him. There is, there is your confidence when you trust Him. This is the examination we need. We need to walk by the Spirit. And the first place to do that is to talk to Him. See if that's where you're at. So I give you the contrast on purpose. I also pointed out the existence of this fruit. It is the Spirit's fruit. It's not ours not ours. If I could stress that even stronger, I'd love to try it. It's produced by Him. It's not produced by us. It's not ours to pick and choose. It is His producing of these things in us. All of it. As faithful, as consistently as He does, as purely as He does, as perfectly as He does, because that reflects His character. Our task is not to manufacture these things, but to submit to his work as we learn to walk with him, to surrender to him, to spend time with him, to follow him. See, fruit is his department, following is ours. So where are we now in our following? That's our call today, because I take you back to the mandate. Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And let's talk to him about that. Heavenly Father, your word is abundantly clear. I know we go through an awful lot to try to dissect it and understand it, and yet the impact is there. It strikes so hard at our hearts, for you know, Lord, how we do things so much on our own. We invest so much of ourselves 
in every single step here. I don't know how that looks to you as you sit upon your throne when you realize and you know that you have given to us everything pertaining to life and godliness and we try to do it by what we have rather than by what you have given. And I'm sorry, Lord, we do that. But perhaps you'll open our eyes today and help us to wake up to this passage. When we realize that the call is to walk by the Spirit, let us take that seriously. Let us not fall into the same traps, the same vices, the same deceptions that have wooed us down the wrong path so many times. But draw us to the Spirit and resting in the Spirit and watching Him produce His work in us. That's where we'll find what this passage is telling us. So Lord, Help us in our thinking. Help us in our doing. Help us in our will. As we submit them to you today, Lord, we want to see the Spirit's fruit. But we certainly want to walk with Him. So start there with our hearts and our lives, we pray. As individuals and as a congregation, start with us right there, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.